Dun, 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 dun. Welcome to episode 100. We made it, guys. We are three digits old. The podcast, not us. <laughs> you don't know that. We, we age in time with the podcast, so every episode we get one year older. <laughs> it's like dog ears, but accelerated. <laughs> Welcome uh. to 100. <laughs> <laughs> Too good. Yeah, uh, we made it. This is episode 100, and it's going to be a special episode. This is also dropping at the same time as literally a special bonus episode, so there will be roughly two hours of Filmcraft for you to ingest today, if you would like. And what are we talking about today, Latif? What makes it special? Well, along with the episode, there is a link to the actual movie, Party Story, so you can watch the movie. Not the fake movie? The real one. Oh my god. The real one. (laughs) (laughs) And then then we're going to break down scenes um, that we've selected that we think are interesting. And I'm also going to do a cinematography breakdown for one scene. So there's some actual stills that I've um, grabbed from the film that, that have little lighting diagrams on them that you can take a look at as I talk about them as well. So those will be linked in the show notes. Yeah, it's going to be a fucking sweet episode. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting too because this is not a public release of Party Stories. This is just we wanted to be able to do something special for the fans. And you know, we've talked so much about Party Stories. The first twenty odd episodes were strictly about the making of Party Stories. So we're glad that we could do this weird, soft private kind of private launch whatever you want to call it but we're happy we can finally show you this movie and then we can dive into a whole other series of more specific episodes because we've been so vague about everything we can start becoming more vivid and we can see why things turned out really well and why some things didn't turn out so well and learn a lot from our experiences it's been four years over four years now since we shot party stories and then we've been doing this podcast for two years what we don't say has been in the works for three years so it's been a pretty crazy little over four years and now that we can start you know what we don't say is coming up this summer the podcast listeners can watch party stories right now and go back and listen to all the other episodes i think it's going to be a really cool time for us and for film craft and for the listeners so i'm fucking stoked Shall we uh, start with our first scene? All right. So we're also going to give you some time codes. So if you want to go into the movie and see where the scene starts, you can watch it. We'll play the audio, correct, Latif, before this segment. Where where are you going to splice it in? Yeah, I'm going to play the audio for everyone listening in case they don't want to go open up the video. So you don't have to be lost while you're listening to this. So this one starts at 50.30. And this scene is one of the more ridiculous in the movie and one of the better received scenes in the movie as well so basically what's just happened is the most ridiculous character in the movie jeff monk has fought someone rather violently and caused a car accident and you're about to find out why he did such things what the fuck was that uh he beat me moly last week so you fought him? <laughs> wait, wait, you bowl? 
No, I told him he was fat. He fought me. And yes, I bowl. Is there anything wrong with the finest American sport in God's green earth? You don't believe in God. And it's not a sport. Oh, you tell that to Roy Munson, played by the greatest actor who ever lived, Woody Harrelson in the greatest movie ever, Kingpin. Wait, Monk, you know that's not actually a real story, right? No, you think I don't know that? I'm not a fucking retard. Wait, what's the, uh... Dodge? Yeah, did he come to the party? No, I saw him driving through the window. So you chased after him? He beat me in bowling. I don't think you understand the seriousness of that. No, Monk, you were wrong. <laughs> you are a retard. I'm just going to break down the writing a little bit for you. And if you've watched the bonus episode, you know that this scene was not one that I wrote intending to be a standout of the movie by any stretch. People just seem to react to this bowling joke in a really, really strange way, in a really positive way, too. I know it keeps coming up in the scene. Like, we start the scene on it, we end the scene on it. But it's just something people kind of latched onto. Every time I see my brother now, he makes a bowling joke. And I'm like, there's no way you like that scene that much. But he really did. <laughs> um, as far as writing it, though, it really was just, let's explore the ridiculousness of the scene that just happened. Because you can't have a giant fist fight car crash scene like that and then move on and not have any type of explanation before or after so it was a chance to examine what had just happened the reason behind it and then kind of dive into the psyche of jeff monk and the reaction of our other two characters and it i think it works because a jeff monk is a lunatic and the reason the scene happens and the fight scene prior happens is just totally ridiculous and then you get two different kinds of reactions out of the other characters one is just sheer disbelief and then the other guy he's kind of finding it hilarious and kind of digging it but still thinking it's ridiculous and you know totally shitting on his friend so i think one of the things that really made it work was just how many different things were going on in the scene, even though they were all related to each other and they were all relevant within the scene. I think it would have worked. It wouldn't have worked as well if, say, the two characters, uh, Jason and Jake, if they had the exact same reaction, like if they were both just in sheer disbelief, it would just kind of be like, yeah, you know, we get it. You get a line of ridiculousness, a line of, oh, my God, why'd you do that? And then another line of, oh, my God, why'd you do that? But since they all kind of have different viewpoints and different ways of looking at it and to a certain extent, different ideologies within themselves i think that's what makes the scene flow the way it does and made people react positively to it um so i got a question for you latif watching that scene again how do how does it hit you now and if you can remember how did it hit you at the time when you read it in the script before we shot and when we shot it i think before we shot it was really more about figuring out how the hell we were going to shoot this thing Oh, yeah. Because it was so um, kind of wild compared to the rest of the movie. It's just in the back of an alley fight scene. So we had to figure out the choreography and then also the blocking of everything. Because if you look at that scene, like in the back, even even though the fight's over, they're just standing there. We've got like a car half turned in an alleyway, like against like a telephone pole. So it's supposed to look like it's hit the pole. And we're also blocking off like half a road and we're in the middle 
of uh, the night beside like a residential care home for old people. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really about like being careful, making sure we got everything we needed, but safely and quickly. Um, And even in terms of the lighting setup, it was like, I couldn't really bring, because I didn't have like a bunch of portable lighting. I only had one like portable LED. So we had no electricity. No. So I had to like bring out a Kino for bank as far as I could and point it like out of the yard so you can kind of see it grazing the fence on the reverse shot and right above the actors you can kind of see like a backlight on them on the reverse when it faces the house but it's like an led sitting above the trees that i got as high as possible so it's just enough light that you can see what's going on but it's it's still it was it was a difficult thing to shoot plus it was just so cold but seeing the final um scene i was pretty happy with how it turned out seeing as how we shot it so quickly Let's uh, jump to the next scene. We've got our main character. Where So if you haven't watched the movie, I'll just explain it a little bit. The main character, he has just gone through, he's like 18, 19, he's just gone through a breakup with the girl he was seeing for however long. He's all heartbroken, and she comes to this party, and this is the scene where they have the only time they talk in the movie, and it really doesn't go very well. So it's kind of the emotional blow-up of the movie, I guess you could say. But we'll play it for you now, and then we'll break it down a little bit. Uh, The time code is 3822. I see you told Monk. No, I didn't tell Monk. Apparently everyone already knows. And even if he didn't, you know he has eyes, right? Everyone can see your steroid-friendly boyfriend in there. I'm just here to see how you're doing. I'm good. Good. When did you start smoking? Why do you care? I just want to know that you're okay. There's no reason for you to be pissed at me. Yeah, totally. No reason at all. Other than the fact that I came to a party to avoid my ex-girlfriend, who fucking cheated on me. Only to be surprised that she's not only here, she brought the guy she fucking cheated on me with. I'm sorry, he's protective. I don't really care. You know, that kind of makes things worse, actually. You're dating some douchebag bro who doesn't even trust you to go to a party by yourself? Sounds like a real winner. You know it wasn't just him that broke us up, right? You're so... young. We're the same age. You know what I mean. All you want to do is hang out with your friends, play video games, or come here and get drunk. I'm so far away and you're not even going to college. You're staying here to hang out with your friends, which, by the way, even they're doing something better with their lives. You broke up with me because I'm not going to college yet? You're dating a football player. He's a fucking kid. I dumped you because he's better for me. Um, so before I go into the writing and my side of this, Latif, I'd actually be curious to see what you think of it and what thoughts you have of it first. I thought, I mean, most people felt this way, but I thought it was the strongest scene dramatically in the film but I I remember when we were cutting it together I had that feeling I felt like it was just a little more impactful than everything else just because it had a little bit of an edge to it but there's you know specifically around the end of the scene there's a part where we um, jump cut uh, Jake's reactions to her like basically yelling at him or making him feel like that was awesome by the way yeah, and it, it just kind of came out of nowhere. I thought, like, you know, we have this guy just kind of walking 
pacing back and forth listening to his ex-girlfriend like berate him i thought let's add some jump cuts of him like listening just to kind of show his maybe insecurity or also impatience with hearing all this but at the end of it he just kind of shuts up and has nothing else to say yeah and that was something that just came through editing i remember that scene was largely cut together and i think it was one of the last refinements of it i i could be wrong about this but i think like you hit a button you didn't meant to you didn't mean to and the first of those jump cuts happened and then you're like i got an idea yeah, it kind of happened by accident. I think I was trying to splice in a different take, but I cut it right into the middle of another shot. But then when the cut happened on the same angle, I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting jump cut because it happened over the, the sound of the other character talking and we're just looking at the person listening. And I thought there's something interesting about that. Honestly, I think that's my favorite. Like, I agree with you. I think this is the most impactful dramatic scene in the movie by by a long shot. And it influenced a lot of my future work and a lot of what we don't say. Um, but in terms of just like a straight editing choice, that was probably my favorite, you know, three seconds in the movie. So props to you for mm -hmm. discovering that, man. That was awesome. Uh, well, I guess before uh, we jump into me talking about like writing the scene and everything, is there anything lighting-wise or cinematography-wise on that scene that you want to talk about? Um, not too much. I think, like, for sure, when when we're cutting to Jake's close-up, it's not the ideal position for lighting because he's, he's being pretty much front-lit by the porch light. And um, I think because of the speed we're shooting that i didn't want to do like a giant lighting setup because we had to shoot the girlfriend first because i know she was leaving that night a little earlier so we shot that and then on the reverse when we got jake we just had to go with what what was there but we positioned them just a little to the right so that um the light would come at him from more of an angle as opposed to just like right on him but it's kind of an interesting look because the whole background is all black and he's the only thing lit because the light actually falls to the ground so it kind of looks like he's in a spotlight as he's pacing back and forth so i actually thought it turned out to be kind of an interesting look yeah i totally agree i think it worked really really well in terms of lighting and this is a really good example of when you're doing your first movie whether it's a short or a feature, hopefully you have a scene like this where going into this, you're pretty much just straight guessing, right? Like when we went into what we don't say, we had made a feature film before. So we kind of had some idea of what would work and what wouldn't work. And a lot of what we knew about what would work came from this scene because it just kind of seemed like all the things aligned properly and this scene was really impactful and it worked on a lot of levels. Um, so looking back at it now, I think there's a few big reasons why it worked the way it did and why everyone says, you know, hey, that's the best scene in your movie, which I cannot disagree with. Um, one, I think, is for the first half of the movie of Party Stories, there is conflict, but there isn't a ton of conflict. Most of the conflict is kind of secondary to just seeing these characters learning about them and feeling who they are and then towards the middle point of this movie you start to get a bit more conflict bit more a bit more and then it all comes to a head with this scene and when it did 
it's like, okay, interesting. You always hear, you know, add more conflict, add more conflict. And this is a good example of that. And, you know, and I don't necessarily regret not having a ton of conflict in the first half of this movie, because I don't think party stories really called for it in that way until this moment. But it's interesting to sit back and really analyze it in that way. And another thing that I think makes it works work so well is that there's a constant escalation through the scene. So we start, obviously our two characters don't really want to be talking to each other, but they're both there for, you know, their own reasons. And it keeps escalating until there's a big blow up where she says, I left you because he's better for me. And when that happens, it's devastating to him. He's speechless, that kind of thing. So with the constant escalation of this point where you're finally at a conflict and drama moment that worked as well and another reason that i think it works on a writing level is i remember when writing it i was like this is the only time they're gonna talk maybe they'll have like a little kind of bullshitty conversation like oh yeah i'll see you later when she's leaving or something like that but realistically this is the only time they're really gonna talk in this movie so this is where we get everything out that is right for us to get out so everything that was problems in their relationship is going to come to a boil now even the stuff they probably didn't say when they were breaking up which we don't even see in this movie Mm -hmm. so thinking of all those different things what could have been these big or little catalyst moments that led to the breakup of these two people and exploring that from a character to character level and then just thinking back to my life and the kind of little things that I would notice at that age. And one of them is I remember when you just started turning like 20, call it like 19 to 22, there was some people that would really let um, the way society looked at them impact them. I had a good friend that did this to a massive degree. And anytime someone would ask him, oh, are you going to school? Because, you know, most people that age are and he wasn't he would get really self-defeated and he would just you could see him curl up inside and how much it affected him so i was like okay that's interesting it can affect someone on this character level it seems to be that only happens to people in that age group and if you turn that on its head and instead of really caring about it affecting you if it came from you projecting that onto someone else then that could be another interesting thing to explore and another level to add some conflict between them so really just thinking of those different character levels and that kind of societal level just brought everything to the writing that kind of made the scene what it was and then of course you give it to actors that are really talented and can bring it to life and Kruger just has this way of through his eyes communicating that he's hurt (laughs) that he just sells it so I mean all those things and then you throw in the way that Latif shot it and the lighting really worked for it the pacing of it just kind of flowed naturally I hope when you go out to shoot something whether it be a short or a feature, probably not a music video because they're more montage than anything. But I hope you get just one scene that really, really clicks for you and clicks for the people you're showing it to so that it can help elevate you to a new level of being the filmmaker that you are. For sure. That, that scene as well. I think there are other elements involved in it that make it the most impactful scene in the movie. I mean, even even the fact that we kept the 
characters apart for most of the movie up until that point. And then having um, no music like playing under the scene because a lot of the moments in the film we have music playing under the scene or introduced at the kind of right moment in this scene we just kind of kept it quiet because it felt the most impactful um, up until the point where she yells at him I think finally it's just kind of like the that kind of nervous energy Cougar carried as he's walking back and forth there's something about that blocking I think that just made it like he was waiting for this moment like he was really building up towards like the the confrontation but in the scene earlier you can kind of tell he's almost thinking that we might get back together but when he gets back down and she's there in front of him it almost becomes a reality that like there's no chance of them getting back together this is like really probably the last time they'll talk to each other how you mentioned that we didn't have any music in it because that added kind of like a dramatic weight to it do you know where that idea came from no i don't remember right now actually so I remember, and this is a, the strangest thing. This is a great example of, you know how Tarantino says, great filmmakers steal, good filmmakers borrow. I just watched the commentary on Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> the Batman movie, mm-hmm. and where Batman and Bane first fight, like in that underwa- underground thing with the waterfall. Mm-hmm. Um, they mentioned how Hans Zimmer did this entire musical piece to it it had you know all these horns and it was this big epic thing and it just made the moment too big and so when they scaled back they realized that at the last moment if we scale back and we just have sound of water and them fighting that it's so much more impactful and i was like oh my god that's genius and then when we were cutting this together i'm like latif what if we didn't have music here that was totally my idea (laughs) I don't think, well, I don't think we actually had music in the scene, but we decided not to put any in. But it's, yeah. it was definitely the right call. I, I think it's better though without, without anything underneath. So that kind of, that kind of makes sense. I, I could see how that, actually, I have to watch Dark Knight Rises again because I don't actually remember that moment, but that's definitely a good example of it working really well. Yeah, totally. And I think it's a good example of just sound in general and how you mentioned like most of this movie, there's a lot of music in the background, A, because it works on a the world in the movie kind of level, like they're at a party, music's going to be playing. Mm -hmm. And B, because, you know, that's the kind of vibe you're going for. You want people to be kind of more up and rowdy and whatnot. And then when you really just sit and think about it, even if you're sitting in a room doing nothing, but you have and you have your headphones in and your phone dies, so you're listening to, call it heavy metal, and then your phone dies and it's only silent, the way that your mood drops like that. And if you want that effect in a scene, audio can be just this extra little layer that can really sink into your soul like that. Move on to the next scene. Yeah, yeah, you introduce this one. Okay, so there there should be links in the show notes to a Google Drive folder, and it's going to contain a bunch of still images of, this, of the next scene. This is me just basically going through the lighting of the scene and breaking down kind of the choices I made that you can't really see, but I've, I used Photoshop to kind of outline what's going on here. Um, so if you open the first image, it's going to be a shot of all of them standing on the stairs from the back side of the house. And then 
uh, it's called shot one party story shot one um and i put the lens information and everything in the f-stop um yeah. so also um yeah if if you want to watch it it's at 2656 in the movie yeah 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 it's basically the scene where they play golf in the backyard but um yeah so when they're all sitting on the stairs there i remember because like we could have shot this from a and from any angle, like I could have been at the top of the stairs looking down, but there's there's some blocking that happens in this scene where the character on the left side of the frame, you see Derek, he goes up to meet Jake because he gives him a cigarette. Then he, when he comes back down, he turns into like a little um, stairway leading to the basement to grab some vases. Uh, so the way that it's framed here, it's to me the most effective way in terms of lighting because the porch light is right above them. And then that's kind of like acting as a, a backlight slash key light. So you can see like the little yellow lines that are showing like the direction the light is coming in. And it's creating like a nice edge on everyone standing on the stairs there. And you can kind of see on Ben at the top right side of the frame, like the the line down the middle of his face. The light is hitting him more on the right side and on the left side it's... A little darker. That's kind of like the the right lighting ratio that you'd want for for that position, and it's kind of doing something similar on uh, the girl at the bottom right side of the frame, and then on the right side of the uh, image, you can see where I put kicker. So that's the light that's coming in from the right side and kind of raking the edges of them, just bringing a little more detail, so it isn't completely black on the far side. So the kicker is creating a little bit of an edge. You can kind of see it on the guy in the middle at the top of the stairs. Like along his left arm that's in his pocket, you can see a bit of light kind of edging out the leather jacket. And the same thing on the girl on the bottom of the right frame holding the beer. It's kind of edging out her hair there. So what it's doing is separating her from the background there. Otherwise her hair would just kind of be a black, um, kind of muddied into the sky. And what what's nice about this shot, and it's not something that I planned, it's just something that was in the script, like everyone was smoking cigarettes. So because they're all smoking cigarettes, like it kind of creates like this atmosphere because all the smoke is sitting in the air, people are puffing stuff out. So when the light catches it, it's it's backlit and you can see it. And it creates like a kind of atmosphere. It's kind of like smoky, kind of dirty looking atmosphere. And that light kind of reflects through it and it's got like a nice feel to it i think like in general like i'm really happy with how this shot turned out seeing as how there's so many people and and just in terms of like uh, blocking and staging everyone's kind of in a, in the right position where you can kind of see what's going on so can you walk us through um let's try and transplant ourselves to being on that set so we go out, it's time to film the scene. And then you and I talk about the blocking. Once you get the blocking down, what goes through your head from that moment to getting it to be lit the way it is? Well, pretty quickly, you know that you want to be in a position where you can see all the actors as clearly as possible. So if I, if I chose to go from the wide angle which a couple of shots from now you'll see i think it might be even be the next shot from the wide angle where i can see the whole house and the stair 
stairwell, I'm missing the faces of everyone facing the house. So I'd be only seeing the people actually leaning up against the house. So I knew that wouldn't be the best angle to start on because we want to see their faces. So if we stay at the bottom of the stairs looking up, we'd be able to see everyone's face kind of half at the camera, but like half looking at each other. So it would kind of play like a two shot, but layered up towards the top of the house where um, Luke is standing right in the middle. And I just felt like that was the best position to kind of start the scene because we get to see who's in the scene. And then also, if you look at the where the key light is coming from, it's, it's, it is the porch light right above them. But it isn't just the porch light. Like, what I had to do was actually get up there and I put a um, diffusion on the porch light. So I think I took, like, a grid diffusion, uh, wrapped it over the porch light and double-layered it. So the light that's actually hitting them is a lot softer than if it was just bare. Um, you can... It's still a hard light, which I wanted it to be, because there needs to be contrast, but it's still a very soft light. Like, if you look at on Cougar's face... The shadow um, that goes across his nose isn't super hard. It's still a pretty soft light um, compared to if I just left the light bare. So um, there was a little bit of tinkering there and the kicker light on the right side, that is completely out of shot. You can kind of see a little bit of a blue flare where the girl's hair is, which is kind of cool actually. And there's a bit of a flare in the middle of the frame on the bottom. And like, I don't mind that it's, it's got like that indie feel anyways, but the kicker is out of, out of shot, but it's doing quite a bit of work and edging them out on the frame from the right side as well. So, and initially going to the scene, like this felt like the strongest way to start on them. Do you remember how much of a pain that porch light was? Because it, it it's not one you can just flick on and off. It's motion activated. Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, because... <laughs> That porch light was basically the biggest light there because whenever they'd stand by the stairs, we needed to have it on because it would just be completely dark in the backyard. So I knew like I'd play that light a lot. I'd use it um, because it was convenient and it was really believable because we've had parties at your house where that porch light is on and everyone's standing in the back. So I wanted it to feel as authentic as possible and non-intrusive. So the porch light, I knew we're going to play this light. But the problem was every now and then it would just turn off when we were shooting. Um, and then there's there's a switch underneath the light where you had to like flick it to a certain mode where it would just stay on. But then there's no labels on it. So we had no idea which direction to flick because it had three positions. And eventually we found one that, that would just leave it on. But for a while it was a pain in the ass because like for a couple of shots we, we'd have to restart because the light would switch off and someone would have to wave their hand in front of it. But eventually figured out how to make it work. Um, is there anything else lighting-wise that you think would be beneficial for the audience to know in terms of that scene? Uh, well, f just for that angle there, I, I know, like, if you look at Derek's face and the girl's face in the bottom, the, the dark side of their face isn't completely dark like, you know, the blacks. Like, you can see detail on their face. And that that's literally... Either my jacket is bouncing light from the porch light back onto them, or there's like, there might be like a bounce board like lying down there. Uh, um, I don't necessarily think I would have put a bounce board there anyways, because um, it doesn't look like it's filled in that much, but I think the light is just bouncing off my jacket. 
um, holding the camera back onto their faces. So it's adding a little bit of fill, but it doesn't look unnatural. It just kind of looks like soft and, and giving a little detail, but that's pretty much it. Um, moving on to the next shot. So shot number two. So this is th this is the other angle that goes wider further back and we're seeing some of the stairs, but we're seeing that little kind of entrance to the basement. And this is when uh, Derek comes down and gets the vases and Cougar walks down and he's like, what the hell's going on? So what I like about this angle is now we've turned towards the house and that portrait is still acting as the key light it's coming and raking down from the side and you can see on you know Derek's face and Cougar like on his neck it's kind of acting like a side light and and kind of modeling them nicely and even on that pole on the left side you can see the light hitting the edge on the right side and then the shadows falling off the further left we get into the frame but that initial kicker light that I had in the first angle it's not playing the same because if it, if it was on in this angle it would just be blasting front facing onto all the actors, which is what you don't want. So that light actually moved further right and pointed it in the same direction as the key light. So it's actually just creating a bigger key light. So there's just a big giant source coming from the right side of frame now. And it's hitting the actors and then falling off the further it gets to the left. And then on the left side of the frame, I think I just put like a big piece of white bounce there just so it could fill in any shadows on the left side of the actors, because they're all wearing black. Um, so light's not going to catch onto them very well. So I want to bring in a little light. So, you, so if they're wearing like any shiny buttons or, you know, if their face got a little too dark, it wouldn't be hard to see. It would just give you a little bit of fill without looking too unnatural. So I put a big bounce like as far back as I could just to bring in a little extra detail. But the shot in general is pretty simple. And I, and I stayed on the same lens. It was on the 24. And we're wide open here as well. Um, moving on to the next angle. This is just a close-up of the vase as they're about to hit it with the golf club. Um, nothing special in terms of lighting here. I think that kicker light is probably moved further back, probably behind where the actor is to the right side and pointing straight towards the camera as well. Um, and that porch light is still acting as the key light and it's really just backlighting that whole scene. So like most of the things um, that are in focus fall into silhouette because they're being lit from the back. So you can kind of see this vase with the shadow falling towards us and then the golf club as well. And you just see a glint of light across the edges of everything. And that's kind of how you want it to look. So that's pretty simple but when we shot this I had to go pretty far back because when he hit the vase I didn't want it to shatter and like fly towards me or the camera so I changed it to the 70 millimeter and then I got pretty far back so this is actually on a longer lens and then we shot it so that it, it would be tight but far enough that I wouldn't be in the way of the the, the smashing trajectory but the shot is a little Sorry? Wasn't there also some kind of filter or some kind of barrier between you and the soon-to-be glass explosion? No, no. We just had... I just had, like, a piece of... Uh, almost like a blanket over my head. And then the camera was the only thing... The lens was the only thing exposed. So if it happened to fly towards me, I'd be covered. But there wasn't actually, like, a barrier between us. 
and the yeah the the only thing that you can tell is the shadows in this shot are a tiny bit darker than the other two because when i went to the 70 millimeter lens it's not as fast as the 24 millimeter it's a t3.5 so it's it's almost like half a stop darker um and i didn't have more lighting power i could add at that moment we had to get this done pretty quickly so um, I just tried to bring it up a little in post, but it's it's just a little darker than the previous shot. Um, Still not noticeable in that sense, though. Not really. I mean, to my eyes, I can kind of pick it up, but it's not too noticeable. Okay, and then shot four, the final shot. This is the kind of close-up shot on whoever is swinging the golf club. So we cut back to this twice, but I picked this angle. Um, it's not too different than the wide shot. It's just punch tighter in and it's more focused on whoever's i'm um, swinging the club but i did i did move the key light sorry the kicker light that was in the first shot over a little bit just so it would give more shape on the actors because that now they're further from the house so the porch light is behind them and it's only acting as a backlight so they still need to be lit from the side so that we can see their faces so what's actually um, camera right, right off screen from the guy with a cigarette in his mouth is that big LED source light that I have there. And it's raking down, down the screen to the left. So it's actually filling in his right side. And then also Derek in the back there is filling in, sorry, filling in his left side. And also Derek's filling him uh, on the face there. And then on, on the far left side of the frame, there's a bounce board, probably giving just a tiny bit of fill. You can probably see it on, like, Derek's right ear. And then that's probably all I had going during that shot. But this is shot in the 50 millimeter, so it's a little bit faster of a lens. I think it's like a 1.8, so I closed it down to 2.8 to match the 24 millimeter. And uh, it's pretty... Pretty simple, but I liked how the lighting turned out. It was okay. And in general, I think throughout the scene, all the shots kind of consistently feel connected, even though we're switching the angles. But overall, um, probably one of the better scenes lighting-wise, in my opinion, just because I liked how it came together contrast-wise and color-wise, like the edges on all the actors and stuff. And we had like a pretty versatile set of lenses used throughout this scene as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it turned out really, really well. And I would agree that this is one of the best lighting-wise in the movie. Um, one question I would have for you, looking at it with your evolved cinematography brain now, w would you do anything different? Uh, you know, not. I don't think necessarily I'd do anything too different. I was pretty... I felt confident going into the scene just because I knew what the right angles were. And when you have like a single source lighting a scene, it's always a lot easier. It's really more about positioning yourself against the light and the actors properly. Because there, there is a wrong way to shoot this scene. If I shot from the first shot up on the stairs looking down, they would have been completely frontlit. That would have been the wrong way to shoot. Um, and even like looking in terms of depth, if I shot from the side, not facing the house and maybe facing the bushes, there would have been much less room and it would have been a much more flat 
looking uh, shot because we shot a long way there's more depth in the shot and we can see um just more in the background when we're looking at the house and we're moving further back in the yard but uh i don't think there's too much i mean i might have used different fixtures and maybe softened it a little bit but i i don't think it would have been too big a di of a difference i'm pretty happy with how it turned out me too man me too all right, well, that has been the first official episode that you can watch this movie film and we can break it down some more. If you guys watch Party Stories or you have any questions from this episode or things we should elaborate through any part of the movie, let us know and we'll talk about it. And until then, we'll be thinking of some new episodes, new awesome episodes to bring you guys. Sweet. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here for a hundred episodes. One hundred the teeth. So what we have to do is not release what we don't say for another a hundred and four weeks. hundred and four weeks. <laughs> no, it's coming out in the summer. You guys will get to see that one a lot quicker than the turnaround for party stories. Yeah, and that one's going to be exciting because it'll be much more widely available than party stories is. So I think more people will get a chance to see it. Yeah, it's going to give us an opportunity for a lot of great episodes as well because we went through, like, for party stories, we're just strictly releasing it to the podcast here because we love our fans so much. Um, it's not getting a wide release, but what we don't say is getting a wide release. We have a distribution deal for it. Um, we have a date right now. I'm just waiting to see if this coronavirus stuff is going to push that date before we announce it. But regardless, it's summertime, and I'm stoked. Yeah, and we're also getting DVDs, mate, so... Who knows, it might be a cool thing to have like a, um, maybe a contest or something where we get a few people as a DVD copy of what we don't say. Yeah, brought to you by ACAST. Thanks for having us around for another week. And I believe, when's this episode coming out, Latif? This week or next week? It's coming out uh, this week, so it should be on Thursday. Sweet. So then we will see you guys next week. Take care. Bye.